Hello, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode of Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. We are in, oh, round of applause in the studio. There you go. He can't start clapping, so I thought it was contagious. We are in the 216 The Net studio here in McHenry, Illinois, uh, streaming on 216 and Fellowship of Faith and all those different things. But here we have uh, Dave Gadini and Steve Wells. Joining us in the studio, like We're every here. week. Yeah. Here to talk about questions on God, Christianity, Jesus, the Bible, theology, you name it. This show is all about you texting in the questions that you might actually be afraid to ask in a church. You might think you're going to get judged by asking them in a church, get looked at weird or, or cast in a certain way. We think God wants you to be asking questions, so text them on in. 815-314-0363. That's 815-314-0363. If you're joining us on Facebook, you can put them right up there in the feed as well. We'll get them. We've got quite an inbox going. And uh, Real quick, do you yeah. continually practice that? You know, I go home like 18 hours a day. You like that? You like that? It's just, it's the fiber of my soul. I mean, it's, it's I always love that I like, I start the intro and we've really got something a... random to say. And then Dave's like, okay, let's get down to business. <laughs> <laughs> After the memorization piece. But yeah. was that because you, of the, of the show, uh, the prior sh- the to show the show, the show, no, it is not because of the show before the show. Okay. Yeah, for those of you who are listening, we used to do this podcast as a, a pre-record only, and there would be a, you know, editing and formatting and all the things that would take place. Now we're doing it live; it makes it a different format, of course. Um, but no, I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. I was just the I was just the answer man mm. back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. We give him more jobs now. Yeah, I know. The, the job description is growing. Yeah. Comment on on Facebook. We have a comment here. I heard you wanted me on your show. Uh, Lana, we want everybody on this yeah. show. Lana, Lana, of course, does the metaphysical meanderings on yeah. Saturday mornings. That's Great. right. That's right. That and, you know, we've gotten yeah. so many questions over the uh, the months that we've been doing this again um, and in the past years of doing this on things that I think are right up Lana's alley and in her um, area of uh, not only expertise, but um, Lana, things that I think you're, you're dealing with and thinking about all the time. So here's what we're going to ask, Lana. Give me some kind of... Uh, contact information here or i'll get it through kent and yeah. i'll contact you after the show and let's talk about what we can set up that would be fantastic pollination yep. of I'll, shows I'll, I'll give it to you after the show all yeah. right fantastic you yeah. know who we have with us on the show today though is uh the american dream dusty Rhodes, <laughs> right here zoom. in the uh here, here, the studio the with us yeah <laughs> okay for those of you at home oh where's it at <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> A gift left last night from what was it? Let me tell you. Let me tell you something, oh, brother. My, Am I, this was my Halloween costume. Hey, I mean, this is from church. Honestly, get in the costume right now, that Steve. Looks I mean, incredible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> so I have a question, not not really related to theology, eh, maybe, but all things come back, right? <laughs> should Christmas music be playing yet? No, no, that is an absolute <laughs> hardcore no. It should not be playing. I don't even care if the rest of the world doesn't have Thanksgiving as an American holiday. It should not be playing before yeah. Thanksgiving Day. I don't even. I, I know can't Steve has stand some feelings Christmas about music. <laughs> it's just so like I know, and you're gonna say, "Well, you know, I really, especially on Christmas Eve, you know, it's great to sing these songs." And I'm just, I'm done with no, it. No, I mean your soul's dead, though, Steve. It's I mean not, it's been dead no, for a long time. No. But if, if you don't like Christmas music in the appropriate season, your soul's dead. No. There has to be no. more than the eight Dying? songs that are played between now and Christmas. Though, right? True. That, <laughs> I think that's the I mean, issue. It's just, no new Christmas song is any never, good because right. it just pulls from yeah. the existing ones. They're like, well, we just take a verse from this song and a verse from this song and 
we'll make it something new. Like, and all, no. I, all I can think of is Mariah Carey. That's it. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> it ruins it for me. It so. just deadens your soul a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, th- there's a bigger there's a bigger breadth of the genre here, though. We we would admit to this, or sure, I'm sure there probably <laughs> is. Justin Bieber had a couple good. Yeah, games. Justin Bieber had some great. <laughs> The chipmunks. The chipmunks. See, if this is who's doing Christmas music, it probably tells you something. So my brother was working as a manager at Barnes & Noble back in the 90s and the 2000s. And I don't know if, like growing up, Peanuts Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas, mm-hmm. absolute classic, right? Yep. And uh, Vince, what's his name? Vince Guaraldi or something like that. But, you know, the uh, the score, the, the yeah. music track okay. to it. Pretty good. Well, it got released on CD right about that time. And it was, oh, man, something fresh. It was on repeat in Barnes and Noble, he said, like every third song. And of course, they turned it on November 1st and you're listening to it solid through New Year's. And, and, you know, after like three years of immersion into this, he's like, if I ever, ever see the Charlie Brown Christmas again, you you know. Mm -hmm. So when I was I used to manage American Eagle clothing stores way back in the day. Yeah. And it's yes, it's the same. It's too preppy for you. Two things that were well, it paid the bills. <laughs> and, and it's easy to sell clothes to teenage girls and boys. You know, like you would come in, Andrew, and I'm sure I, probably, I could sell you anything because I told you, oh, you look really cool. <laughs> if oh, you were dressed it. like this, then <laughs> maybe. Yeah, right. yeah, Dusty Rhodes all the way. Put your hand in the air, man. Yeah. Let's see. But it was the same thing. You know, November, and, and you know, they would, uh, the, the, the general manager would send out, you know, <laughs> here's what you need to do. Here's how the store needs to look. And this is the music you're going to play. And it was over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And so it does. It kills. It kills that whole Christmas spirit. Plus the people that come into the store. You know, material is, materialism is at its highest point during sure. the season. Sure. So that kills the buzz for you. And it's like, when are we going to get back to, to some straw and a manger and Jesus? I came across this. Uh, it was a youth ministry book put up by youth specialties back in the day. And it was called, uh, it was like Dumpster Christmas. Mm. Or something like that. <laughs> and what they were doing is they were trying to write, you know, in the true sense of the word liturgies, uh, not high church, but like liturgies for youth groups mm. to use for various occasions. Their Halloween one was fantastic mm. as well. Yeah. But the Christmas one was pretty cool because it was just, it was written for people who, you know, were in suburban or urban areas. Go find some slum and you're going to have this little service around a dumpster in a back alley. And uh, I don't know, it just yeah, brought like to mind, that. you know? Yeah. yeah, that's a cool, yeah. cool vision. Maybe we should do that this year. Maybe. Dumpster Christmas. Cancel, cancel right. Christmas. Cancel put, Christmas Eve. Just put on our doors closed. Yeah. Go find a dumpster. Go find a dumpster. <laughs> Start a fire. No, don't Have start. a basket of candles. You can take <laughs> one. Light the fire dumpster. Uh, so speaking of... Sing Mariah Carey. <laughs> she's in there. <laughs> she pops out of the dumpster. <laughs> and Justin Bieber. Did you want me to sing my song? No. no just no. throwing out the trash, okay? Of course. Oh. Oh. oh brutal of course blow. we do want to thank Mariah for tuning in. Right. Yeah, right. Yes. Right. Because that's what she's doing. <laughs> she's busy writing new Christmas songs. Yes. <laughs> so the reason I asked that is because we got a question that I think applies to this time of year. Uh, it says, I know we're called to Sabbath. What does that look like in the modern era? And I think specifically this time of year might bring out a need for that a little bit more. So I don't know if you can delve into that. Dave. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a need more than ever for Sabbath. Why is it? Uh, let me just ask you guys. It's like the more technologically advanced we get and the more modern conveniences we seem to um, get, the busier we are uh, and, and the more pulled we are in so many directions. You know, the Sabbath is kind of a really interesting thing because most people will look at the Old Testament law 
and, and kind of realize, you know, yeah, we're not under that ceremonial stuff. We're not under some of that civil legislation, some of the, the weird stuff. You know, it's just kind of what it comes down to, the weird right. and the non-weird, yeah. for like that knee-jerk reaction people have. But you'll often hear people go, well, we should follow the Ten Commandments. To which I'm like, so why are you not honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy? And I'll tell you why. is because you come to the New Testament and you see Paul and Jesus saying, you're not bound by this anymore. But not being bound by it doesn't mean there isn't immense value in it. And something um, woven into God's plan for ancient Israel that we shouldn't also apprehend today. So what does it look like in a modern context? I think it's variable. Um, I, I think it's tapping the fundamental principle that we are called to not only rest and, and, and step back from the workaholism that we invest ourselves in, but it's actually also an act of trust. I, I know people that give generously, but they are absolute scrooges when it comes to their time. Mm-hmm. Because money can be made or lost in a variable degree, but time is constant for everyone. And so much of what Sabbath is, is not just finding that personal time of recuperation and rest and enjoyment of God's creation and enjoyment of, of, of the gifts God's given us and, and time spent with him. It's also saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to take one day off when I could be productive, when I have to be productive, when it's absolutely necessary for me to be productive. And I'm going to trust that you're going to provide for me. And this is my tangible way of showing it. And I never used to live in that headspace with it. I just thought of it all as like, well, you just, you know, you rest and you, you just enjoy time with God or you go to church. Well, yeah, that, that's amazing things you could do to weave into the practice, mm-hmm. but getting into the right headspace with it. So, you know, my encouragement is if you're not taking one, start taking one. And I, I think it can look different depending on your situation and who you are. I don't think it has to be on the seventh day or what we would call sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. If you want to practice it that way, certainly go for it. That's better than doing nothing at all. Um, but but pick a day where you intentionally don't look at your work email. You intentionally don't look at your work cell phone. You intentionally put aside the to-do projects. And it's not just what you're employed with. Because how many Sabbath rests do we take where we use it as the way to catch up on all the other to-do list stuff that we have to do that isn't our nine-to-five job if even such a thing exists anymore. So... <clears throat> It's complete reorientation, man. It'll rack you. I mean, it is one of the hardest things I find people coming to terms with. And I'm sitting here as one of the biggest hypocrites in what I'm saying even right now. That was my follow-up. What does that look like for for us, for each of us? You know, a lot of people will kind of like suggest if you're not doing a spiritual practice, find ways to ease into it. I think there's wisdom in that. I mean, I've always been the kind of guy where it's just like, Man, if it says do it, just jump in and do it and stop fooling around. But I know that isn't always realistic. So if you really are struggling with this, maybe it's just taking a daylight Sabbath. It's not 24 hours, but it's during daylight. Maybe it just starts with an afternoon. Maybe it starts just blocking up three hours or five hours going, I am intentionally not allowing myself to think about work, to go to work, to do the tasks and jobs around the house. And funnily, what it does is it makes you more productive the other six days of the week, as opposed to that 24 seven drawl. I think we all kind of exist. in, And I think too, like for me, it, it changes probably week to week, you know, because my schedule is so in flux 
I mean, I've got my certain things like, you know, we have staff meeting and we've got rehearsal and we've got, you know, certain things. No, that but so many other things week, are but, scheduled, but right, are. right, and, uh, you know, uniquely. So I think as far as just downtime and rest, that even happens sporadically. You know, it's like I know when I need it, but I like all last week, I didn't really get it because I'm building fireplaces, you know, right, like, right. Why am I doing the that? need is demanding it, right? It's but there. It's you know, there. the people want it, it. Let's give it to them. <laughs> and I'm going to feel better once it's <laughs> done and it'll be off my that. mind. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's yeah. it's things like that, that it's like, okay, so on top of that, I've got the other, you know, the, the non-negotiables that I've got to do. You've mm-hmm. got family at home. You've got, you know, gutters that need to be cleaned out. You've got, you know, Jeeps that need to be put away. You know, it's silly stuff, but it all takes time and energy. And so then you, you know, it's like, when is that time? Do you actually just get a crash? a little bit. And then when is your mind actually on something deeper than other than yourself or what's on the news or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever binge worthy show you're watching on Netflix, you know? Mm-hmm. So you got it. Yeah. 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 I think that's the part that's hard for me is I can take the time off and like not turn on my computer and not look at email, but then I fill it with other things mm-hmm. or I'll sit and, and if watch. it's things you enjoy, mm-hmm. fantastic or yeah. things that are, just good, but mm-hmm. when it's work in the yeah. negative sense of the term, right? Yeah. And like just even not taking time within that, you know, day of rest to reflect on God or talk to God or anything spiritual. Yeah. Just like, mm-hmm. well, I'm just going to watch all of Squid Game today or something. <laughs> like it's like, okay, well, that's good. It's resting. It's taking your mind off of work. Is there time in there too that I can set aside for? prayer or something to that effect too. You know, the classic spiritual practice with this has simply been this. Don't go to work on Sunday and go to church, you know, and then enjoy the afternoon with your family. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Sometimes we scoff at the traditions of the past, but it's not a bad way to start. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great question. Thanks for asking. Cool. Uh, This one came in last week. How come God lets us eat things like his creation? (laughs) Uh, Examples, cows, pigs, et cetera. Does that make us sinners? Yeah, so we're talking like sentient beings, you know, not like pears and, you know, apricots and Those are, they're, wheat and they're, stuff they're like living, that. They're living, though. They are living. They're living things. Yeah, but I don't think anyone's going to put like, you know, in the same taxonomic class, you know, like <laughs> wheat stalks and, you know, True. your dog or something like that. Um, uh, why does God um, let us eat that? Because in one, um, one fashion of looking at God's creation, they were meant for human betterment and enjoyment. That doesn't mean we're called to exploit them. In fact, we're called to care for them, to love them, to treat them well. But they are a gift of God to humanity nonetheless. Um, it wasn't that way in the biblical record in the beginning. Um, the permiss- the permissibility to eating meat came along post-flood, like Genesis 9, as opposed to Genesis 1. There is some kind of speculation in this going, hey, in the new heavens, new earth, will we all be vegetarians again? Well, you know, we'll find out when we get there. But I'll tell you, Jesus was still eating fish in his resurrected body. Um, True. So there's all kinds of little anecdotal things we can talk about in this. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, you get to heaven, you're up there wandering around, you see a cow. Do you you wink at him and be like, New York Strip? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Are there along for those days? Are there animals for the days in of sin? Have we talked about that? <laughs> but you know, we can circle to the animals in heaven. But but let me answer the second part of that. Doesn't make you a sinner to eat meat? No, it doesn't make you a sinner. I guarantee you're a sinner already, whether you're eating meat or not. Um, and eating meat of its own right is not sinful. Now, perhaps the way that you're treating an animal, gluttony, 
um, killing killing something and then wasting it or or something like that. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about instances of sin within it, but just de facto of its own right? No, it's not. And are there animals in heaven? Um, I like to answer that one. You know, this is a silent question in the Bible. Uh, theologians, of course, have been talking about this and, and pastors have been speculating and holding the hands of not just like eight-year-old kids, yes, but also, yeah. you know, 70-year-olds, <laughs> 60-year-olds and 50-year-olds after their dogs died. Um, and it isn't something that's ever spoken into directly or established dogmatically, if I can use language like that in any church tradition I know. Um, the way I like to answer it is, I will animals be in heaven? I don't think so, but I bet they'll be in the new heavens and new earth. I had a weird thing this week. I got a rotisserie chicken. And there's one thing like I have no problem eating chicken when it's divided into pieces and I'm cooking it. But when it's <laughs> that a whole, whole thing and you're like, oh, I can see the ribs and I can cut uh, off its legs and arm. I'm like, ooh, that's Andrew that's goes vegan weird. on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious though, and I ate it, so but there's just a different feeling. And he like, did, and then he was like using it as a hand puppet. Now he's got a new pet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that's what I do on the Sabbath. I yeah, make puppets yeah, out, out of chickens. chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you do need to work more than Andrew. That's what, we can turn this into a children's series somehow at church. We'll act it out with uh, hand, puppets. Chicken, hand puppets. Hand puppet chickens. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> <laughs> children's sermons gone bad. <laughs> you know, there is that cool passage though that I want to talk about in Isaiah chapter eleven. That's kind of read every single Christmas season in churches, and the the whole gist of the passage is: I mean, you know, you'll bring it to mind, and I'm trying to do this from memory here. But the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and put his hand into the viper's nest. The cow will feed with the bear. Um, the lion will eat straw like the ox. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I've always loved that image. And it's certainly metaphorical of something greater mm -hmm. than animals living in peace. But the question is, is it strictly metaphorical or is there a literal component to it as well that when we look forward to what eden restored if i can use that way of describing the new heaven and new earth will be that truly animals will be living in this kind of harmony and us with them and i tell you there's something pretty exciting about that to me i mean imagine what it would be like to live in an unbridled creation where like the wildlife were like on good terms with you and like what doors that i mean you, you see the way people like freak out and geek out about being able to swim with like a dolphin like like for like three seconds or something like that i mean it, yeah. it's fun to speculate yeah of, of what that could look like and be and what god's original intention was where we're not all killing each other you know but <laughs> <laughs> truly living in in, in in peace and harmony from the the gentle to the the predator mm -hmm. my mind went so many <clears throat> different ways with that is it Snow White where she's like friends with all the animals? The I think it's like every Disney is it, is it every, classic like Disney. The, I just bring Cinderella, like the birds I know. Like putting a dress on her. Or yeah. something. Oh, you know, it's Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping okay. Beauty. They do that in uh, Cinderella. You see it too. Where and they, you uh, see it in my house. They, with, and you, yeah, and it's Steve. <laughs> with Barbie. Right. It, yeah. <laughs> does she skip about singing? And like, yeah, right. <laughs> Quiet. I'm trying to watch the news. <laughs> Shut those birds Shut the up. Birds up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. Get some video of that for us, Steve. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I had a different vision. Well, we warned you guys. Any question goes, text them into 815 Yeah, what do you while got? Those, while those questions are coming in. Remember the Seinfeld where Kramer goes out and he's, he's golfing into the ocean? Yeah, the hole in one. The hole, hole in one, one and yeah. the blowhole in the whale. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like if we're friends with and like uh, coexisting with them and they're like, we can, well, instead of just swimming with them, we can actually, I don't know, do you talk to them? Is there a language now? <laughs> I, I don't know any of this. Yeah. Can, can you give like, us your best whale? Hey, uh, can you give us your best you, whale no, right now? Can you spot me? You know, like, can yeah, you just totally. go out about, about 400, let's say? Because, you know, I mean, you give me a, it's in heaven. I got the best clubs in the world. I can, I can drive I'm, at 400. I'm four degrees off course. Just right. kind of shift, just shift a little bit there. and yeah, then moving. blow it back to me. So I don't have to come get it. It's like a ball return. <laughs> yes. yes. It's just getting better and better. Right. You ever, uh, you guys ever watch Jim Gaffigan? Comedian? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You ever see his bit on whales? No. It's absolutely oh, fantastic. Yeah. Just Maybe like, you know, because c- whales, like when you hear them, his bit is like, they just sound depressed. Why are whales right. always mm-hmm. depressed? It's just like, Mm. why am i so fat mm. <laughs> just probably a little bit of self-deprecating uh, humor in there i'm too. so butching it but it's it's fantastic uh, you know 10 minutes on youtube is we'll it'll change your life jim if you're listening we'll <laughs> yeah. have you on the show yeah, right. anytime jim please we please can zoom we can zoom or i mean have them i would like to do a show with right. lana and jim simultaneously <laughs> and lana if you know jim Let's kind of arrange this. This would be fantastic. Okay. And, and Mariah Carey would just pop And Mariah Carey. And yeah. yeah. Someone on earth. So don't say Jesus. Who would you have on the show if you could if you could get them here? And they agreed to it. Oh, wow. Alive I mean, you know, or dead? Alive. 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 Alive, right Okay. Now. Yeah, because that would be creepy. We don't yeah. want, like, some corpse and don't here say on the show. Like, well, I do. Martin Luther. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> I know he's dead. So that's why I'm saying. <laughs> that would be my choice anyway. But... Alive, yeah. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't go with Martin Luther. It was my first choice. No, there's other yeah. people. I know. I know you would, Steve. I would. And, yeah. Just so I could wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> wrestle. <laughs> so who would it be? You know, I, uh, it, I'm, I'm stepping back because you know immediately I went to like theological, religious, you know, theologians, and you know, like N.T. Wright came to mind immediately for me on that. Um, you know, there's again, and John Walton, I think it would be fantastic to have on the show. Um, just amazing insights into the ancient near East and creation and stuff like that. But man, if you're just kind of opening it up and I mean, you can go like anywhere with that. Oh, that opens up completely new possibilities of just some of the most fascinating people that you could, uh, that you could talk to. So what I, I got I to gotta camp on that one because, I mean, I feel like I'm committing to this and it's going to happen uh, by stating it. You know, we're going to... You're going to manifest it. We're going to manifest <laughs> it. And once it's out there, it's cemented. Yeah. So so who would you go with, Andrew? I I want to chat with Elon Musk. Talk Elon Musk, before, okay. okay. I think he, he just has a different way of thinking about everything. Like, there's the normal problem solving and then there's how he problem solves. And I think it'd be fascinating to just delve into his brain a little bit mm. all right mm-hmm. you that'd got be interesting that'd be interesting yeah. yeah uh mine would be and you know mine is very possible because he's only an hour away he's in chicago so if you're out there i really want you to come onto the show <laughs> and he looks a lot like well he's got a he looks like us ken He's what? Where's that sticker at? Nut. He's, he's nut. yeah, yeah. What is it? He's got the little soft guy. What, I know. What's it called though? Nut, nut pride. Nutpride.com. Nutpride.com. Nut 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 if you want to go see pictures of Kent and I, 
It's for bald guys. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's Billy Corgan, hmm. uh, the the lead singer, and really the 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 main guy of the of the Smashing Pumpkins. And a lot of people hmm. think, hmm, you know, just listen to their music, you know. But there's it's so detailed and intricate and creative. And uh, that guy is. Have you ever listened to him on? He, Joe Rogan actually got with him on uh, hmm. on the podcast on his mm. podcast and it was a fascinating five hour interview they got mm. in some heavy stuff but it would be like his religion i would love to get into that because mm-hmm. i don't think he's a christian i don't think he's so i would like to understand where he's at with that mm-hmm. like if we're gonna have good music in heaven and not you know mariah carey all the time 24 7 let's we need guys like billy corgan up there so <laughs> except your neighborhood in heaven steve right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah mine's by the dumpster <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you right got, Ken? Right, right, Gary. <laughs> yeah, what do you got? Um, Patrick Bet David, I like. He's uh, he's an entrepreneur, and uh, he I think he's from Iran. And uh, his dad they they came over here, and he's uh, he's made himself, but it just the, the, kind of the same way. Just the way he thinks, his train of thought, and how he looks at life, and what he believes is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, I don't know if Dusty Rhodes is alive anymore you know so so that's already contending yeah yeah you know let let me let me play his voice if you talk back to you then (laughs) that's scary you know there's so many people it's like a one-shot opportunity that i would grab but you know who would be fun i'd like that john mulaney on the show who john mulaney i don't know uh you know it's it's, hilarious it's hilarious comedian yeah yeah that would just be a fun show jokes i don't really have yeah i'm not funny i don't have no sense of humor yeah it's because your soul's dead, Steve. You're right. <laughs> it's Christmas music doesn't like. Yeah, things. exactly. I don't you're open like to here, man. I love kicking and the American. Oh, I love kicking. And the American dream came to an end in 2015. Yes. Oh, sad day. <laughs> Rest in peace. All right. So, you said no dead people. Questions. Yeah. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> what differentiates cults from religions? Ah, oh, good question. And Thank you for asking. Is there more? I, I think this is kind of asking, aren't all religions cults? Is kind of what I think this is. That's what you're reading into? That's what I'm reading into. Okay, uh, without reading into it, I'll just take it at the surface level of the question. What is the difference between cults and religion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It depends how you define cult, and it depends how you define religion. And I'm not trying to be slippery here, mm-hmm. because these are complex, connotatively loaded terms that get used very differently depending on the context you're in. So let's talk mm-hmm. about cult. Um, cult is as, as a Latin term from cultus. It's the same word where we get like agriculture mm-hmm. from, you could hear cult in the agriculture part or cultivate. Um, and it just means care of. And the, the word originally applied to just uh, those who took care of the gods, because remember in the ancient near East and the polytheistic, polytheistic society, you had uh, priestly classes that were basically tasked with making sure the gods stayed happy. You had to take care of their shrines. You had to take care of the idols. You had to take care of the sacred spaces. And they devoted their full-time profession to caring for those sites and those images and therefore showing proper homage to the gods. So, you know, like it wouldn't rain and, you know, we wouldn't get blight and mildew and, you know, we'd have productive families and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. When you read a lot of what I would call technical religious literature, they will still use the term cult in that fashion 
to refer to anything from polytheistic or pagan religions, as they're often called, to um, Judaism or even Christianity, the, you know, the, the Hebrew cult, by no means meaning anything derogatorily by it. But the problem is the way it gets used in academia is not the way it gets used by the average person on the street today. And I think the functional definition um, of how it gets used by the average person on the street today and the media and, of course, pop culture and literature and things like that is it's anything that is supernaturally or religiously weird. Weird being the operative term. So if it's weird, it must be a cult. Um, well, you know, by that definition, you'll see people label sometimes Catholic practice as cult or, or, or Pentecostalism is cult or, or things like that, which really wouldn't be a proper use of the term. Um, I, I think maybe a better way to talk about it is the way that psychologists and sociologists will approach the term um, is something fundamentally negative that is often determined or defined by a list of attributes. So it's kind of like symptoms with a disease and they kind of like, go, oh, okay, you know, we're kind of doing a diagnosis here of this, this belief system or this organization that you're in and they'll start going through. Does it seem to, to have like some kind of like leader worship going on with it? Does it seem to have elements of coercion or mind control attached to it? Does it seem to, and you know, they'll go on and on and on with this, this and like, you know, the psychologist will go, well, man, if it hits like five of the 12, it's a cult that this one will go off and it's nine of the 12, it's a cult. Um, but I just kind of say that because the term is often thrown around by people and slapped on something just because I don't like it or because I'm unfamiliar with it. And I think you always just need to investigate a little bit more deeply, um, not what label something has, but what does it actually teach and believe and by what means and to what end and get less hung up on the term that someone might use and more concerned <clears throat> with the substance of what's going on. Make sense? I think so. All right. All right. <laughs> Made sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew's, Andrew's sold. So the show is really <laughs> just good. for me. I didn't, I didn't understand it. Can you start from the beginning again? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, once, uh, which one am I doing? There it is. Why is Jesus or why was Jesus so secretive about his mission and ministry on earth? That's so weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first person to ask and uh, that there's a whole line of theology called the messianic secret. I want to mm. let you know you're in good company with some of the, the, the biggest theological minds, you know, the last couple of centuries wrestling through this. If you're unfamiliar with what the, uh, with what we're talking about here, you see this happen in the gospels a lot. The new Testament has four biographies of Jesus retelling the story of his life and, and especially in Matthew, Mark and Luke, especially Mark, you, you see when, when people start to kind of latch on to really understanding who Jesus really is, one of his initial responses is always shut up, right? He's like, don't, don't, don't talk about it. And he warns them. And it seems that no matter how much Jesus warns them not to talk about it, they talk about it all the more. Yeah. So, I think that was his plan. And, you know, and some have speculated that it could just strictly be reverse psychology. Right. That, you know, he knows human nature and he's just trying to stir the pot, you know, you other ways. You can't have that. Then, then you, you want, want it and you'll yeah. do it. Think about every church in this day and age. Yeah. Go and share the faith. Go and tell your neighbors. Anyone do it. You know, a remote few. That's right. I, I think even <laughs> on our church doors, we, we should say, like, don't come in here. <laughs> And no, one, you're, you're not, welcome. you're not welcome. You know what church? And it actually was, <laughs> Let's see was what that does for a year. Really? No, no, no. You know, I'll tell you 
the, the church that actually took that strategy was Mars Hill. Um, and I'm not talking uh, Driscoll. I'm talking mm-hmm. Rob Bell in um, in Grand Rapids, Michigan back in the day. You know, they uh, they were like, you got to want to find us. And uh, early on, you know, he wrote about this where, you, you know, the, the, the well-meaning elders of his church went out and bought this big sign because they had some decent roadside place. This, this was an old abandoned shopping mall that they were meeting in. And I remember my first time going there, you pulled in. And it still looked and felt like an old abandoned shopping mall. Literally walked up to the doors and there was nothing. Now, I don't know what it is today, but back in the day, there was, it was like, do I walk in? I mean, there was nothing, no sign, no anything to identify. You started to walk in the halls. It felt like an old abandoned shopping mall. And then you started walking down and you get to where like one of those big anchor stores used to be. And then you realize there was like 5,000 people gathered back there. And it was the fastest growing church in the United States for a season, literally based on that strategy, right? So it's not as far-fetched as you think. Now, I think at Fellowship of Faith, if we were to do that, people would take us at our word. It's already it just hard enough like, to find yeah, our I building. Know, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but I still like, you know, so we've been going through like, you know, all of our beautification you know we have our landscaping we're doing things on the inside the outside yeah right right right. and then i you know like i well i told you about this i'm like you know what if we went completely opposite and just like tagged our you know got some really good graffiti and just spray paint like sin you're ugly you know like it'd be awesome worthy all these just horrible things that we really are you know you know, my, my favorite Let's three... Let's put it on there and be real about I, I'm, it. I'm totally yeah. with you. My favorite three church names of all time, um, and I'll go third place, second place, and first place. One is the Church for All Sinners and Saints. I think it, There's just a clarity about it. It's uh, Nadia Veltz Weber. Um, I'm not sure she's actually with them anymore. She might be doing things at a you know national level or regional level or something like that. Sure. Um, the, the second is the First Church of the Living Dead. I don't even know if they're in existence anymore, but it was a goth church. Mm. Um, I think out of Peoria, Illinois, of all places. And uh, my favorite is Scum of the Earth, which is out in Aurora, Colorado. Um, You know, quoting 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter Mm 4 in that, but (laughs) says it right there. You know, that's what we are. That's who we welcome here. That's what we're about and finding God's redemption right in the middle of that. So, yeah, find Get you know who I want on the show? I want Banksy on the show. Banksy, Banksy. yeah, the graffiti artist. We can, oh. re- we can reveal him. We can reveal, reveal. No, you know what? We could put the you know the pixelation on his face, and he mm-hmm. can you know we could put a we got a cut out of Steve. You know, and he'll stand behind the cut out of Steve, and you know who knows? Maybe he can even tag you here. Maybe he's can in the studio. Maybe he's a bigger guy. What are those self? If he tagged like? your mustache, would you ever change the message again? No, that would stay. No, that would stay. That would stay. All right. <laughs> what if that is a tag and we just don't know? Three D. Are you Banksy? Are you Banksy? <laughs> <laughs> I, have trouble. Let me, I have trouble with stick figures. <laughs> there is no tagging here. Well, so it say. could be reverse psychology oh, with or Jesus. Her, or her. Uh, you know, the, the, the other very tenable, um, well, well, a couple of other that are floated out there is, you know, we got to keep in mind, we got to keep this humanized. Uh, you know, we want to theologize the stories and the gospel so much that everything is this higher transcendent point. Mm-hmm. But this was a guy who was wanted, pursued, both from those who loved him and those who hated him. And it may have just simply had some very practical value for the moments and places and times, just like a band trying to get out of a stadium isn't announcing, you know, their their backdoor right. exit. 
And, you know, there's some common sense logic to that that I think is far often overlooked. But if we want to theologically spin it, another common way that this is approached as well is simply that people weren't ready for it. And Jesus needed to reveal who he was on his own terms. And one of the things that you see repeatedly with Jesus is no matter how much he told people stuff, they refused to believe what he had to say and wanted to believe about him what they wanted to believe about him. Same issue we have today, right? And it wasn't until Jesus was able to show certain things, fulfill his mission, demonstrate things, go all the way to the cross, that the nature of who he was, his mission on earth and his kingdom could be fully realized. And then the fullness of what it meant that he was Messiah and son of God could be known because what you were packing the term with wasn't what he was packing the term with. And you got to do it on his terms, not your own. So take your pick. Ask him when you get there. It's about yeah, the best I could do for you. I've been thinking about the, you know, Jesus' first miracle documented in the Bible is turning water into wine. Yeah. It's a good way to but start. was you know? that the first miracle? Like, was he a 14-year-old and making rocks <laughs> float? Like, I don't know. You, you ever read the uh, the apocryphal gospel kind of stuff? It's The way I like to put I it haven't. is, you know, people think that what we have in the Bible is the only written records, if you will, or stories about Jesus. But there, there's a whole litany of other early works that aren't in the Bible talking about Jesus. And early Christians didn't follow him just because they didn't find him reliable. Um, so the way I kind of like to look at him is, is a fan fiction. You know, people were into Jesus and they were coming up with stories and creating stories and legends um, that went outside the teaching of the apostles and going, no, you know, we, we didn't see that. We don't know about that. You know, this is what we saw. So this is what we're teaching. Um, but there's stuff like that where, you know, he would like be playing in the mud and turn it into birds and it would fly away. And he got mad and like accidentally pushed some kid and killed him and raised him back to life and, you know, cutting wood in dad's carpenter shop. And, you know, it didn't measure quite right. So you make the board extend and like just <laughs> just all the fun stuff that you hope he was doing. Yeah. Y- y- you know, um, you don't get that indication, though, not, not from the Christian witness, mm-hmm. but it's fun to think about. So why aren't those? Why aren't those writings included in the Bible? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's yeah. other gospels, if you will, as people refer to them, or other books of the Bible. When was it decided that like, yeah, these are in and these are out. And like, these are the inspired <clears throat> word of God and these aren't. Yeah. So let's talk about the New Testament specifically, because the Old Testament is, at least Christians call it, is <clears throat> has its own journey mm-hmm. in saga, so to speak. But one of the mistakes that I think Protestants fall into when we kind of pride ourselves on sola scriptura is we forget that the testimony of Jesus preceded the written record of Jesus. So the teachings of the apostles predate the writing of the new Testament and the testimony and witness of the believers of Christ comes from the witness of the apostles who were there when he was living and breathing here on planet earth, right? They were walking alongside of him. They witnessed his miracles. They, they saw it firsthand. And so it would be kind of like this, Andrew or, or Steve, if you were to be taken away and we wanted to know more about you, where you go is to the people who knew him best, yeah. which would be your closest friends, your followers, in this case, disciples. You know, you're not going to like 
uh, you know, Mary and his brother James as part of this as well. You know, you got family in there. That's who we would go to. And if we had questions, if other people like, man, Andrew, man, that guy was awesome. And do you remember when, like, you know, he was he was at that Cardi B concert and he made like Cardi B like levitate of his own power, <laughs> you, you know? And then like someone would go, well, you know, I was I was there, and that didn't really happen that it way. Was wires, you know, that that's the apostolic witness. Hmm. And so all of these, you know, people fell in love with Jesus and wanted to dream about him and think about him, and and and, and legends started to create and, and folklore started to grow around him. And you'll find that in a lot of the Gnostic Gospels. You'll find that in a lot of these what are called apocryphal texts. But the position that the earliest Christians took is like, well, you know, we were actually there. And our followers, we actually talked to about what we saw and codified these stories. And that's not to say that's the totality of what Jesus did, but that's the reliable factor that we can go to to determine what Jesus did. Yeah, we could speculate day and night and man, I hope some, not all, but I hope some of that stuff is true. actually true. And, yeah. and I bet there's a lot more that's true. Um, but it's speculative. So to base your belief, teaching life and theology on it gets, I, I think, to be shaking ground. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So going to the comment section on uh, Facebook Live, um, Gene says, if, or asks, if Jesus was walking on the earth today, could he have been tagged as a, being a socialist? Yeah, Jesus got tagged as being all kinds of things, rightly or wrongly. Um, but I'm, I'm sure Jesus, Jesus is tagged by a socialist now, by, by both Christians and non-Christians or a communist or a radical or a revolutionary or, you know, fill in the, the gap. I mean, the last 200 years of the quest for the historic Jesus, as it's often called, have been marked by more points of contact of trying to put Jesus into a category. And I think the one universal truth that's come out is Jesus seems to transcend them all. Mm -hmm. um, there isn't one category that fully defines him because Jesus was never be about being a part of that category. He was seeking to redefine categories on the way of God. Put another way, Jesus didn't come to just teach us the way of God. He isn't um, just a prophet of the Torah, if you will. Jesus is the Torah. He is the way of God. He is the source by which all systems, be it philosophical, economic, political, social, religious, should conform to find God's way in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. When someone dies, people will often say, in quotes, it was their time. Uh, is death predestined and does God determine how many days you'll live before you're even born? <laughs> so predestination, I, 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 you know, it, it always comes back to this, you know, we, we're fascinated by this topic and I get it so deeply and I love it. And I appreciate you asking. Um, thanks for the, uh, the question here. Let me start at the first point of this before opening the predestination can of worms Give me the first line again, because it talked about our days being numbered, but I want to get this correct. Uh, it says, when someone dies, people will often say it was their time. Yeah, it was their time. Um, so are we to believe that all of our dates of death are foreordained and that if someone dies, it was because this fits in with God's plan into the proper time and place? And the answer to that is no. No. Uh, death is the result of sin. And I'm not talking a causative effect that you sinned in this way, therefore you've merited dying at this date and time. But as a general effect of sin that's come into the world and into our lives, 
death is a result of that. Death by nature is chaotic. Death by nature is random and meaningless and futile, left to its own devices. Now, God will often come into death and bring redemptive power out of death and hope out of death. He'll take that which is worst in this world and work good through it. But no, there are many people who, who die just like there are many people who sin, not because it is their time or because it's been foreordained. Bad things happen that are not part of God's plan. Now, in saying that, I am not saying they're outside God's foreknowledge. God knows all things, but that does not mean he wants or intends all things. He does seem to let many things in this universe run their own course in their own way, despite the fact that he doesn't want it. So when we talk about the will of God, we have to, di- we have to distinguish between the will of God is, is that which God says, this will happen and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, okay, you're stuck with that. Versus God's will as a way of describing God's desire or wants or, 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 or hopes, if you will, and yet allowing a wide variance within. I'm not going to say that there's no one in this universe who has never died in a preordained time because God wanted in some kind of way. But I think it's a very shaky and and ultimately dangerous way to approach death in this world. Um, And I don't think it brings hope. Um, I, I think it's far better to go to someone who is grieving and just go, I'm so sorry. This sucks. And rather than try to find the meaning or answer as to why it happened, you go and dwell instead on what God has done about it and is going to do about it. There, there's far more hope there than in trying to, to get the why behind what's often life's greatest tragedy. So then what do you say to someone? Let's say, you know, I've been in the hospital with many of people who have been, you know, dying probably their last days. And some people say, well, God's just not done with you yet. You know, as if, no, he's going to work through you in these last days and keep you in this place of possibly suffering (laughs) for you, for him to accomplish (laughs) his will. His will, yeah. Again, I think well, often well-intended, but also fundamentally shaky and dangerous. And while there may be kernels of truth in these contexts, I think they get shrouded so much more by misperception that they become more unhelpful than helpful. I think fundamentally it's better to stand in those situations to go, God is never through with you in life or death. Your purpose does not end at death. You have eternal life in God and your purpose actually extends. But as long as you draw breath, you still have value. Even in the worst of suffering and the most infirm of states, you still have human dignity. You still have value. And God can still work redemptive power in you and through you, even if it's just this and it's the most often overlooked thing, prayer. I, you know, I might not be able to do anything else. And I don't think God is artificially keeping me alive so the final like lucky prayer can get said. I think that's a very strange and false way to go. But that even when I'm here in the final days and I know that this is terminal and I know that this isn't getting any better and I wish that the Lord would take me home Until that day comes, I still have value, I still have purpose, I still have dignity, and I can still do the Lord's work even if it's just sharing his love and prayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Good question.
Um, in scripture, we see Jesus praying often to God and sometimes at great length. Is there a time requirement we should meet or focus on while praying? Mm. Um, yeah, you know, and likewise, you'll see even Jesus command in prayer at one level, he'll, uh, you know, Matthew chapter five, he goes, when you pray, do not babble on like the pagans because they think that by their many words that they will be heard. Um, rather your father knows what you need before you even ask. So just say this, our father in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Basically what's been codified as the Lord's prayer, right? Yet at other places, you'll see Jesus say this, wear God down. Pray unceasingly. Paul will, will even write in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continuously. And, and some have literally tried to do that. That's a whole discussion if we want to go down that rabbit trail. But regardless, but Jesus himself, since that's the, the way we framed it, will say, um, no, treat God like an unjust judge. And, you know, just keep coming at him in prayer until he basically relents and goes, oh, shut up already. I'll give you what you want and, and get on with it. And, and that, that's Jesus. That's straight out of the Gospels. That's not me just putting a funny spin on this. And so we see at its nature, there's a tension. And there's not a one-size-fits-all paradigm to prayer. And so what I've learned is that the answer to that question depends on the context that you're in. There are some people who give up too easily or refuse to seek God in prayer because they're angry at him. They don't think it makes a difference. They're frustrated. They're cold shouldering him. They're challenging him or something like that. And in those instances, I think we got to heed Jesus' words to go, no, run to God in prayer. He's someone who delights in giving good gifts. If you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. If you ask him for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. You, you know, he, he, he's not going to screw with you by you praying to him relentlessly. And you don't have to fear coming to him in that way. And yet at the other hand, I've known people and have fallen into this trap myself where my, my incessant praying is actually a lack of faith because I think that by my effort and by my prayer, I'm, I'm psychologically accomplishing something to, to solve my anxiety. And I need to just step back and trust God and go, wait, am I actually trusting God or am I trusting the power of my prayer and the works of my actions? Um, no, pray less then, right? Don't babble on like the pagan. Pray less. So you really got to contextualize it. And if you're struggling in the midst of that, reach out to us. I'd love to have a one-to-one -one with you about maybe what you're walking through or we reach out to your, your, your pastor or someone, a uh, um, respected Christian in your life who, who who's just really a prayer warrior and gets this kind of stuff. I and, often uh, take it from there. Nighttime prayers, you know, you're laying in bed. Okay, I'm going to shut my eyes now. I'm going to pray. And it is, I have to remind myself a lot that, it's not the specific words that I'm using as if, well, if I use these good description descriptor words, you know, it's really going to come through, you know, that's going to sell the poetry here, you know, <laughs> like uh, how, how dumb, that you was know, like just, a plus prayer versus a C. Right. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then the Holy spirit comes and works in me and says, shut up, you know, right, just right. go to bed, just go to bed, just go to bed right now. <laughs> Okay. And how many times do you pray yourself to sleep? <laughs> totally. Like, yeah, it's all fall asleep. Better than prayer. counting sheep yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I was listening to this pastor I know. His name's uh, Bill Yonker. He's uh, um, know Bill. you know Bill. Yeah, he's a he's a speaker. Um, does a lot of youth conventions and things like that. A great speaker. I think he's out of Emmanuel in East Dundee, Illinois. If I got it right. But you know, I remember him talking about prayer once, and this kind of really just stuck with me. Um, he's about a generation older than I am, and I was like 
this kind of new guy just out of the seminary. And it was words that just were mentoring. And I don't even think he meant it that way. But he, he would talk about how oftentimes he used to feel guilty because he would fall asleep mm. while he was praying. And people that he would talk to that, you know, you want to pray at night and you kind of curl into bed and, you know, you start and like, you know, eight words in and you're gone. Right. And then, oh, like I'm letting God down or I'm doing something. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, have you ever seen a dad or a mom who's tucking his kid into sleep, whose child falls asleep in the comfort and safety of his presence and arms going, get up. We're not done talking <laughs> yet. That it, thought. <laughs> I mean, exactly. We got one more page of this book. Wake up. <laughs> and when you put it that way, you realize how yeah. ludicrous it is. Yeah. And we, though we are evil, delight in giving good things to our children. How much more God, who is perfect in every way, is going to delight in even greater degrees of, of, of goodness in the midst of this. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I hear you on that, Steve. So what, what about the uh, the disciples in the garden with Jesus? They fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying. Yeah, yeah, they, they get a little railed on that. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> because there are contexts to stay awake. Hmm. And there's more that we could actually delve into that passage and some interesting things I can bring at a later time in a later show hmm. uh, 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 that, that counter our typical reading of just like Jesus just mad because they're tired, that there's some intentional things happening with the language as part of the bigger story that gets us a little far off field here today that I think speak into that. But but I'll just suffice for now to say there are contexts when, yeah, yeah, there is something every now and then. Or, yeah, fight through it, you know? Tina says, Hisham tells people not to pray for, not pray the hours. Not Tells not people to not hour. pray the hours. Okay, so Hisham tells people to not pray the hours. Let's unpack this. Okay. What, what Tina, I believe, is referring to here is an ancient spiritual practice called the daily office or daily hours. Drawing on, I believe, Psalm 119, um, where there's a, a, a verse almost in passing that says, seven times a day I'll praise you, O Lord. Seven times a day I'll pray to you. Monastic communities develop the practice that seven times a day they would come at fixed hours, hence why it's called the hours, come to God in prayer. Monastic communities to this day still practice it. There's a, a monastery in Kentucky that a lot of us like to go down to, and, and it's pretty wild to do the seven daily hours with them. And there's these monks who have been there for 40-some-odd years every day of their life, seven times a day at fixed times. I'm talking like 3.15 a.m. in this, too. Getting up, it, it's a whole different way of life and a whole different vocation. Hisham has an amazing story. Um, Tina is referring to uh, Hisham Shahav, amazing man. Um, he's Lebanese, and he actually grew up in Lebanon as part of Hezbollah, or at least affiliated with Hezbollah, and, 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 and was, a, was a Muslim. It was actually um, on a hit um, that fortunately he'll talk about God saving him from through a car accident. And through the ministry of a nurse that was caring for him and others. Um, and reading the Sermon on the Mount, he came to put his faith in Jesus or Isa, if I was to say it in, you know, in Arabic, um, and, and use more of that language, and is now a Christian, is a Lutheran pastor who is reaching out in DuPage County. He would be another great guy to have on the show. Mm -hmm. um, story to tell, but he's doing ministry to um, Middle Eastern um, refugees and immigrants and Muslims, um, which in the DuPage County of Northern Illinois is a, is a very populated. highly populated um, Muslim and Middle Eastern um, people group. And in his ministry 
to Muslims where they have five times a day in which they pray. A lot of what he has to do is deconstruct practices in one religion to help them find freedom in Christ. It's not that there's anything wrong with praying to God five times a day. But when you start to attach to it salvific quality, or when you start to attach to it um, misapprehensions of who God is, sometimes you have to fast from practices in order to rebuild them Mm -hmm. in a healthier way, not because they're in themselves wrong. And that's why I I don't want to speak for Hisham. Um, We should have him on the show, but that's why I am going to speculate that he tells people not to pray the hours. So just to follow up to the question that started this, if Jesus is God, who is he praying to? Yeah, he's praying to the Father. Right. And and this is he's actually to himself. No, no, and this is the this is the ground right. that that Trinitarian thinking is birthed out of. You know, many people think that the concept of the Trinity was either just like something invented um, you know, by the church for some political or 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 whatever reason, or that it, it, it derives from passages like when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, you have some of these lines, but that's not where the Trinity births out of. The Trinity births out of exactly these tensions, Kent. It's, it's the followers of Jesus trying to make sense of this duality you see where Jesus both treats God as someone other and yet identifies with him himself with God personally. And, and you have a paradox there. And basically three to 400 years of theological thinking has left us with what we've inherited as Trinitarian thinking, which was the followers of Jesus' best effort of writing those paradoxes correctly without overemphasizing one over the other or dismissing one in light of the other, which is so easy to do when you deal with paradox in this world. So, yeah. Yeah. So he's both praying to the father of whom he shares in the Godhead with himself. Which is why I'm glad we're going right, right now with our whole series with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Because I think the Holy Spirit is much more forgotten. Oh my gosh. He's so. like, He's like the 3 a.m. infomercial yeah. of the TV lineup, you know, which is so... Hey, but the monastic monks would catch that because they're up to pray. They so are. That's true. That. That's true. Yeah. You know what? I think he likes it that way, though, um, because it is fascinating that the Holy Spirit permeates the Bible from Genesis 1, verse 2, to being mentioned explicitly in the fifth to the last verse of the Bible in Revelation 22, 15, or 17. Um, he's everywhere, and he fills every page in between, and yet he's always behind the scenes... You know, yeah, you get Pentecost. Yeah, you get you get Jesus putting him in the limelight and talking about him. But it's fascinating within the Trinity that no one member of the Trinity elevates themselves over the other. That each member of the Trinity is always pointing the direction to the other. Jesus elevates the Spirit. The Spirit points people to Jesus. Jesus submits to the Father. The Father puts all authority in the Son's hand. And I think there's something to learn in that relationship for our human relationships here on earth as well. Yeah. 
Well, hey, we are running out of time. These are a, a, a so great fast. list of questions that go so quick. If we didn't get to your question today, don't worry. It is in the inbox, and you can ask a question at any time by texting it to 815-314-0363. Um, not just when we're live, but 24-7. It'll go in our inbox, and we will get to it in time. We broadcast questions you never thought you could ask in church live every Wednesday afternoon, 12.30 to 1.30 p.m. Central Time. You can catch us on 21.6 The Net. You can catch us on your favorite podcast provider and recording. You can catch us on Facebook. Um, I think that's all we got. If, if you're looking for a church, visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org. We're here in McHenry, Illinois. Um, and if you need help finding a local church in your own area, if you're out of area or out of state, we can help you with that as well. Steve, Andrew, Kent, anything else? See you next week. All right, we'll see you next week. week. God bless everyone. Church.